painting. Take off some of those clothes. Show the Cobra fans what they really want to see. They are gonna love you. Before I even get started on this podcast, I need to go ahead and put a graphic content warning. This podcast is not safe for work. In this podcast, we will be talking about the adult entertainment industry, otherwise known as porn. So please have your headphones on and do not have this out for everybody to hear because porn will be mentioned often. If that did not make you realize this is not a safe for work podcast, I don't know what else will. If you also may not be able to tell, this episode is not suitable for young audiences. But then again, none of my episodes are. With all of that, listener discretion is highly advised, as some of you may find this episode disturbing. All audio clips provided in this podcast are done so under copyright disclaimer under Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976. Allowance is made for the fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Hey guys, what's up and welcome to What the Actual F. This is a podcast where I like to talk about true crime stories, paranormal, hauntings, conspiracies, but I've definitely been on a true crime kick and that's what I've got for you today. Another true crime case. Now this case has inspired a Hollywood movie called King Cobra starring James Franco and Christian Slater. Today I'm going to tell you about the murder of Brian Charles Caucus. Also known as Brian Phillips, Brian was a director of gay pornographic films and a founder of Cobra Video, a gay porn film studio. Caucus was murdered at his Dallas Township, Pennsylvania home on January 24, 2007. Arson was used in an attempt to disguise the circumstances of his death. So who murdered Brian and who tried to cover it up? I'm going to tell you today in this episode of What the Actual Left and the Murder of the King Cobra. Brian Charles Caucus was born May 28, 1962 in Fairbanks, Alaska. He was raised in Larksville, Pennsylvania and was the first son of Michael and Joyce Caucus. He graduated from Rochester Institute of Technology, after which he worked as a medical photographer for a local eye doctor. After Brian left the medical photography business, he tried several business ventures, all of which failed. Then, in 2001, he was involved in a cell phone venture. After being charged with a sexual assault on a 15-year-old boy, he was removed as a partner from that venture and established Cobra Video in 2001 as well. Later that same year, Caucus filed for bankruptcy in federal court. He then created two legal entities with the name Cobra Video LLC that was in Pennsylvania in 2002 and the other in Delaware in 2005. Cobra was in the market of low-budget, barely legal-style bareback films. The company was dedicated to, quote, capturing the erotic essence of youth by producing pornographic movies of young men who looked as if they could be adolescents having sex without condoms. In the five years after, between his bankruptcy and his death, Cobra Video did very well financially. At the time of his death, his personal possessions included a Maserati convertible, a BMW sport utility vehicle, and an Aston Martin. In addition to the home that he was living in, in Dallas Township, he also had some land that was valued at over $400,000. He also had no mortgages for his properties. So needless to say, Brian was doing very well financially with King Cobra Video. 
Now, I did mention that there were allegations of sexual abuse on a child, so let's go ahead and talk about that. In 2002, police found a videotape of Brian, then 39, and a 15-year-old male in his home. Brian pleaded guilty to one count of sexual abuse of a child. He was charged with child pornography and transportation of a minor for sexual purposes. Now, the boy had lied about his age, which allowed Brian to get a probation sentence instead of seeing jail. Then, in 2006, a judge, Michael Conahan, signed paperwork changing the original charge from sexual assault to corruption of minors. Brian's former attorney, Al Flora, said the change was made because the original charge of sexual assault of a child was a mistake and that, quote, he didn't realize there was an error until 2006. As a result of that change, Brian was not required to be registered as a Megan's Law offender. The judge, Michael Conahan, later pleaded guilty of federal racketeering charges in relation to the infamous Kids for Cash scandal and is serving 17 and a half years in prison. I like them, but I, you know, it was my kind of like my first date. I didn't know how to act. So now that I've filled you somewhat in on Brian, we need to talk about the real reason that I am telling you all about him and his death. We are going to talk about the two people who are responsible for Brian's murder. One of the men was Joe Caracas, a then 28-year-old former Marine who now owned his own escort service. The other was Harlow Quadra, a good-looking 20-year-old Navy recruit whose voice you just heard. After these two men met at a mall in Virginia Beach, Florida, they soon became a couple. Joe then talked Harlow into getting out of the Navy and moving in with him. The romantic relationship between Joe and Harlow began rather quickly and I think was precipitated by the fact that Joe's a little bit older than Harlow and Harlow was always seemed to be looking for a bit of a direction or a leader in his life. Harlow went with Joe and became extremely dependent on him for his house, his clothing, use of a car to provide him food. All of his daily expenses were covered by Joe. Another thing that Joe was doing, he was pimping Harlow out for what Joe says was $1 million a year in his sex business. He got me involved in uh, male escorting, which is uh, you know, like, like being a cowboy, literally. They called me and I went uh, to their home. So not only did they have this romantic relationship, they also had a business relationship kind of going on where Harlow would be an escort for Joe's sex business. So they were in love and happy and com they were really completely smitten with each other uh, by what I can tell from a lot of the interviews. And Joe was also providing sex for other clients with Harlow. Now, in a lot of these cases, one person is keeping the money for themselves, but both of them actually made a fortune from clients paying huge sums of money for the services of Harlow, who looked like he was underage. I'm just gonna interject real fast. That's a little bit disturbing that people have a huge fantasy for people that look underage. That just really kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. Anyways, they became so successful that Joe wanted to expand into the adult movie industry. When they did this, their movies, however, weren't making enough money to support the couple's lavish lifestyle that they had become so used to. 
they were basically spending more money than they could bring in, leading to a mass amount of debt that was going to fall all on them because they were not able to pull in enough income to pay their bills with the plan that they were currently doing. So this is where Joe and Harlow decide to come up with a ambiguous new plan for fame and fortune. They decide they need the hottest name in gay porn, Sean Lockhart. His stage name is Brent Corrigan, and he needed to star in their movies in order for them to make, well, enough money to compete in the industry. And then from there, it just built up, 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 until I was handling, you know, everything that came at me. Hey, isn't that Brian and Matt's card out there? Yeah, they came over to help me out with the you know, they're just in the room goofing off, man. So that is an excerpt from one of their videos before they decided to reach out to Brent and maybe see if he wanted to be involved in their videos so that they could make more money and sell more of their videos since they were not doing so well at the time. Joe and Harlow do get in contact with Sean and his manager, Grant Roy, and the four of them eventually meet in Las Vegas to discuss the possibility of Brent going ahead and working with them on their adult films. During this time, they were actually all there in Las Vegas for an adult entertainment convention, so it kind of worked out for them to meet up and discuss this and didn't really throw any red flags up because of the simple fact that Brent, he was already represented by somebody. So, of course, it didn't seem like anything was going on, and they were just running the idea by Brent and his manager. But... Joe and Harlow saw this as an opportunity to sort of get Sean to be wowed by them at this opportunity and see it as a huge chance for success, fame, and fortune. We already know that Joe and Harlow had no issue spending a lot of money and living a much more lavish lifestyle than what they could afford. But that's exactly what they did to try to win over Sean or Brent by basically doing a ton of stuff to kind of win him over. They purchased extremely expensive and extravagant meals and offered him extremely expensive gifts as well. They even started to offer him insane amounts of money to work with them. They offered an obscene amount of money to do you know, a couple of scenes and I just I was like, this is ridiculous. This is, you guys are out of your minds. But it wasn't just the fact that money was not an issue, apparently. The main problem in being able to get the actor that they wanted to star in their movies was that he was still under contract. And who was he under contract with? Brian Cochis. Yes, that's right. I've been saying caucus and it is Cochis. I'm so sorry. My bad. I basically had to do a ton of research because I wasn't the only one who said his name incorrectly. So sorry. Now, Sean did want to break free and get out of Brian's grasp in the adult film industry. However, Brian isn't making that easy for him because Sean is a cash cow to Brian. So therefore, Brian is not going to let him out of his contract. There is nothing of benefit in it for him. That's okay, there's no need to worry. Of course not. In so many stories like this, people got a plan. People got a fucking plan that leads me right here and telling you all about that plan that never ever goes how they see it playing out 
in their head. Joe and Harlow flat out ask in the interview with Sean, what if Brian Coaches just went away? Not just what if he went away, what if he never came back and they could guarantee that. See, when you're in a contract, it's not just as simple as, oh, I can't hear from the person I'm in contract with. No, they have to be gone. As in, the contract has to be void. As in, one party has to be dead. I mean, after all, that's like the fastest way to solve that contract little issue right there. Just murder the person who holds the contract. Now, Sean and Grant don't exactly know that Joe and Harlow are basically hinting at murder of, you know, they're going to kill Brian. They don't know this is exactly the route that Joe and Harlow are stating, but they don't exactly feel comfortable with what they're hearing from them. They actually both left that meeting with Joe and Harlow kind of afraid of what they were going to do. Like, what were their intentions out of this? What was their true hope like what were they what were they talking about what were they going to do were they actually going to do something to brian hey guys brent corrigan here for weholife.org we put together this cute little segment called ask a porn star so no holds barred i'm here to take your questions and uh hope you make me squirm a little because I'm going to go ahead and tell you a little bit about Brent. So in the beginning of early 2004, Brian cast Sean Lockhart in Cobra's Every Pool Boy's Dream under the stage name Brent Corrigan. He went on to star in several more films in that year, notably Schoolboy Crush in 2004 and in Barebone Twinks and Casting Couch 4 in 2005 and other releases in 2006. On September 13, 2005, a shocking announcement came out from Corrigan's attorney announcing that Corrigan was underage when he filmed scenes from a Cobra video that he used a fake ID to participate in those scenes. Cobra denied that they were ever aware of such allegations and publicly stated that it had copies of Corrigan's identity documents claiming a birth year of 1985. A civil lawsuit soon began between the two parties after. Brian denied the allegations and began a countersuit for copyright infringement for the unauthorized use of Cobra's Brent Corrigan's name. A final hearing in the matter was scheduled for February 21st, 2007. In 2005 and 2006, Cobra removed six of the titles which featured Lockhart from store shelves, although they cited no reason for this removal. This is a thing called relationship dick, right? I mean, big dick is good dick, but relationship dick is like dick that's big, but you can take it on a regular basis without completely hurting yourself. So somewhere around like, I would say like seven and a half and like eight inches, nine inches. Yeah, that's a little big for some people, but what are you talking to? So at this point, Sean or Brent and Brian are locked in a huge, bitter lawsuit over the ownership of his on-screen persona. At this point, he just wants to be free from this. You know, he wants to make his own money from the movies that he's creating. Yet, Brian isn't willing to let him loose from his contract or even give him more of the money that he's entitled to because he is the star of these movies. He is the one bringing in all of this money for Brian. But don't worry. Joe and Harlow, they have 
a plan. So what I did that night is not that far-fetched. I was in there, I heard it, I was jealous. On January 24th, 2007, firefighters are rushing to a blazing house fire in a suburb of Dallas in Pennsylvania. When the fire is finally extinguished, the body of Brian is found lying on a couch among the ashes. In time, investigators soon see that Brian didn't die due to the fire that took place in his home. Instead, he was killed by 25 stab wounds, one of which was a cut from ear to ear across his throat. In fact, Brian had been stabbed so brutally that the only way to identify him was at his autopsy via dental records because of how badly his body had been abused. It was discovered that the fire had been done in order to hide that Brian had been killed the way he was. Side note, that doesn't tend to work. The day after the fire, we looked at them as possible suspects because of the litigation that was going on. So that's obviously they come to your radar very quickly. Not only had Brian's house been set on fire to cover the killer's tracks, several items had also been stolen and his house had been completely ransacked. Among one of these stolen items was a Rolex that had Brian's initials on the back, as well as a computer and master tapes. Immediately, investigators believe that Brian's murder is connected to the adult porn industry. As we know, Sean Lockhart, aka Brent Corrigan, and Grant Roy, his manager, are in this bitter legal battle with Brian over Sean's, you know, his name in the industry, Brent. So, of course, they are immediately looked at. It was learned pretty fast, though, that both Lockhart and Roy were over 3,000 miles away at their home in San Diego at the time of Brian's murder. This is when police turned their attention to somebody else who they found out was actually at Brian's house on the night of his murder. Through the investigation, we knew that he had a model coming over to visit him by the name of uh, Danny Moylan. So through the investigation, they learned that there is a model by the name of Danny Moylan that has been exchanging emails with Brian about setting up an audition shoot in order to be in these Cobra videos that Brian is running. Investigators actually pull up Danny Moylan's application, and this is where they first see the picture of Danny. But would you believe that Danny is already somebody else that is very well known in this industry. We got numerous calls from the Virginia Beach area saying, hey, this isn't Danny Moylan. This is Harlow Quadra. Now, Joe and Harlow aren't exactly suspects right now. It's been about two weeks since they actually talked to Sean, even though Sean and his manager were a little bit uncomfortable with the way they were talking. It wasn't really that they were suspects right now. But they did know that this Danny Moylan was Harlow. They didn't also just know that. They also learned that Sean Lockhart had actually gotten a call from Harlow the same night that Brian died. In this call, Harlow said, looks like our guy took care of things for us. Police also found credit card records and surveillance video showing Harlow and Joe had traveled to Pennsylvania just before Brian's murder. But not only was that evidence enough, there was more. They rented the same exact car that was seen outside of his house the night of the killing and bought a expensive knife at a local pawn shop. The same exact knife that was used to cut Brian's throat. 
The cell phone records ultimately put both Joe and Harlow at Brian's house the night of the murder. Investigators at this point are pretty sure that they believe Harlow went to Brian's house posing as Danny Moylan. And at this point, all hell broke loose. But Joe's in the car. Harlow's inside. They're drinking wine. Brian at the time is in a good mood. Whatever happened on the couch, whether they were kissing or whatever, you know, we didn't believe they were. And Harlow saw the opportunity where Brian let his guard down and just cut his throat. And then they set the place on fire. And then they drive back to Virginia Beach. So not only was Brian's throat slit, he was also stabbed a total of 28 times. Police inevitably got a search warrant for Joe and Harlow's home where they found several of the stolen items from Brian's home. But there was absolutely no sign of Harlow and Joe. They, in fact, lived on the run for many months. We hightailed it down to South Beach, Miami and set up shop for five months. Bought a condo and were escorting um, down there. And uh, we were paranoid. Now, I don't know at this point if Joe is just completely stupid or if he genuinely thinks that he is some sort of evil genius that has completely covered all of his tracks. But Joe is contacting Sean Lockhart about doing a film project with him, you know, because Brian is out of the picture now. That's right. While Harlow and Joe are on the run and afraid of being caught, Joe is sending communications to Sean asking him to do work in the adult entertainment industry with them. It's totally something an innocent man would do. I'm just saying. And this is where they walk right into the hands of the FBI. So at this point now, Joe and Harlow are gone from Virginia Beach, Virginia, where they live, their home that has been searched. They found the items that were missing from Brian's home, but they are nowhere to be found. At this point, not only are investigators of Brian's murder looking for Harlow and Joe, but so are the FBI. Joe and Harlow lived on the run for many months. They eventually fled to South Beach, Miami, and Florida after their home had been raided by the FBI. So again, for some reason, Joe is absolutely living in this delusional la-la land, thinking that they are going to get away with this murder, and that now that Brian is gone, they're going to become these big adult industry movie creators, and that they absolutely have Sean Lockhart or Brent Corrigan as their main actor. Joe actually promises Harlow that it's all over. It's all going to be okay. They got away with it. It's fine. You know, it's going to be okay. And they're going to pursue their dreams. You know, the dreams of getting Sean in the film industry with them. To which at this point, Harlow is absolutely paranoid. And he's pretty sure that Joe wasn't on drugs thinking this, but on complete fucking delusion. So due to Joe's absolute stupidity of contacting Sean, the FBI put them immediately on their radar. They actually reached out to investigators first. So now that authorities are aware that Joe is contacting Sean, they kind of work with Sean and his manager. See, they're going to set up a sting operation and catch the killers not only, you know, right there, boom, we got you, why are you guys running if you didn't do something, but also to lock it all in 
catch them confessing to the murder of the King Cobra himself, Brian. This is where they walk right into the hands of the FBI, who have decided to help get Mr. Lockhart to help them audio tape Joe and Harlow. So now that Sean and Grant are working with authorities, they set up a business meeting in San Diego with Joe and Harlow. And they set this up at a nude beach. So how do you set up a wire on an individual at a nude beach? With a device. A device. At that point, we conducted a wiretap as they were lying naked on their beach towels. And Harlow Quadra and Joe Caracas admitted to the murders. And Harlow Quadra admitted that he had actually committed the murder. I'll stop you right there. Where was the wiretap if they're all four of them laying butt naked on their towels? Where is this wiretap? Well, what would you bring to a nudist beach other than your towel? I don't know. Your car keys. Okay. It was in the car keys, lying right next to Harlow Quadra. So something a little amusing here is Joe actually chose for them to meet at a nudist beach because he was suspicious and a bit paranoid of the chances that he could get caught or that, you know, maybe they were eavesdropping. This was all part of the authorities. So he chose for it to be at a nude beach because obviously you can't wear a wire there. All in all, he was genuinely afraid that they would be wearing a bug and ultimately they still were. All his precautions did not stop it from being heard. They also met at the nude beach as well to set up some shots for the porno that they were going to do. We were trying for, you know, some form of, of confession, but really when it came down to it, it was more, they knew so much about what they'd done that that was damning enough. There is a transcript of the audio that was caught in this wiretap. And in that transcript, it actually talks about how Harlow says that he actually felt like he was getting revenge when Brian went down. That's what we needed. Puts him there. Puts him at the murder scene. I'd like to go ahead and kind of just give you a timeline of events, because I know sometimes these cases, when I explain them, can get a little messy. So Harlow and Brian had never met. They did exchange emails and phone calls, setting up a face-to-face -face meeting at Brian's house the night that he was killed. Now this was all a plan that Harlow and Joe had hatched up in order to get Sean Lockhart, who is Brent Corrigan, from out of Brian's contract that he was in in his adult entertainment movie company. See, Brent was a very big name in this industry and considered basically a cash cow. Now, Joe and Harlow were not apparently happy with what they were doing in their ventures of the adult porn industry, so they wanted to have Brent, and they wanted all the money that came with Brent. On January 20th, four days before Brian was brutally killed, the police affidavit says that Quadra used his Discover card to charge $39.95 to conduct an internet background check of Brian. Then, on January 22nd, two days before the killing, the affidavit describes that Quadra set up an alias email account on Yahoo.com, and he used this exclusively to communicate with the victim, Brian. Later that same day, the affidavit shows that Quadra used the email account that he set up to make the meeting with Brian for January 24th. 
Then, on January 23rd, it's discovered, the day before the slaying, the Alpha Davis says that Quattro used his Discover card and his driver's license to rent a Nissan Xterra sport utility vehicle in Virginia Beach. This is very important information because there was an SUV seen at Brian's house the night that he was killed. It was silver or gray and only had three brake lights. A witness gave this description to investigators. And wouldn't you know, that matches the exact same Nissan Xterra that Quadra rented using his Discover card and driver's license. I was scared as I, don't, I was like, That same day, the affidavit says that Joe checked into the Fox Ridge Inn in Pennsylvania, not far from Brian's house, using his driver's license, and then he paid cash in advance for two days for two people. It also appears from the affidavit that both Harlow and Joe visited the victim's house the night before the killing. It was actually quoted by both of them in the San Diego Beach conversation. They described the inside of Brian's house, including his expensive home entertainment center and an upstairs bedroom. Then, on January 25th, the day after the murder, Quattro returned the SUV, having driven it 1,052 miles. For reference, a round trip from Virginia Beach to Dallas, Pennsylvania is 770 miles. Now that's not it. Again, these criminals are absolute idiots. That same morning, according to the affidavit as well, Quatra called Lockhart to break the news. He told Lockhart to check out the local TV news website. You know, there might be an interesting story. That's when Sean Lockhart discovered that Brian was dead. With Quatra adding, I guess my guy went overboard. This is when Sean Lockhart became extremely upset and drove home immediately. Second thought occurred when I got a little tipsy drinking and I said, Harlow, we do not need to do this. We have way more money than Kosas has. And he says, all right, let's not do this. We've just wasted all this time and all this money. And when he said that, he knew that strikes to the core of my being. And I don't like wasting time or money. So I said, F it, we'll do it. On May 15, 2007, Harlow and Joseph were arrested and charged with Brian's murder. He held my hand and he said, just be strong, Harlow. We're going to get through this. Don't do anything stupid. And he said, I love you. And that was pretty much the last time that I got to touch him. Now, Joe is saying initially that he is innocent. He had nothing to do with Brian's murder. And quite frankly, how dare you think he does? To answer your question, no, I didn't do it. Harlow says, Joe didn't do it blurted it out, Joe didn't do it. Joe does inevitably take a plea deal so that he does not get the death penalty. It's sinister, it's disgusting, it, it, we were caught in a world of greed, but we went there on purpose, with the purpose to kill him. On December 8th, 2008, Joseph Karakis pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, theft, tampering with or fabricating evidence, and criminal conspiracy, and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Quatra, however, pleaded not guilty and stated that it was Joe who did it all and went to trial on February 24th, 2009. He states that Joe is the one who did the physical killing of Brian, not him. I will die at the stake before I ever admit that I did anything wrong. You know what? They will have blood on their hands. 
Harlow claims that while he was inside posing as this Danny guy and, you know, getting close to Brian, you know, kind of loosening up, they were drinking, Joe got jealous and crazy and just went wild, just lost it all and basically was overcome with jealousy and rage. Joe stormed in afterwards, um, went right up to where Brian Coaches was with one swipe, uh, slashed his throat. That was Harlow's defense attorney, and he himself states that he believes Harlow is telling the truth, and he has not doubted him from the very first day. So I believe he didn't have a part of it, and Joe was the killer in this case. Okay, so of course, I told you some of the evidence that was obviously found against them. And even with Harlow's defense that it was all Joe, he did it. Well, the jury didn't buy it. They didn't believe him for a fucking second. And he was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He has tried to appeal his sentence and he did so on April 7th, 2009. From what I can see, that appeal got him nowhere. Now, Harlow still, to this day, says that he's innocent. I'm guilty of only one thing. That was... And that was being naive and trusting the wrong people. So ever since this happened, they have done interviews, as you guys can hear, and there is one where Joe himself states that he is the one who actually killed Brian. I was in there, I heard it, I was jealous, and I said, this is and that's the first time Lenny News Outlet anybody ever gotten it right, because the prosecution never did. However, in that same phone interview, he actually changes his statement and says something else completely. So let's address that. Why did you want to tell me on the phone here on our show that you did it if you didn't do it? Why did you want well, to do that? Well, because I had such a, um, a wonderful, loving relationship with Harlow. Uh, for so many years and I still consider him the love of my life. I wanted to do something to help him. So there's been a main common thing here that we see in a lot of these cases, especially when there are two people involved in the murder. The story will change depending on what investigators uncover. Nobody seems to want to admit what they have done until they get caught. But even then they want the narrative to change and shift so that they are not the one at fault. And this is exactly what Joe and Harlow are doing. So who was it that actually stabbed him 28 times and slit his throat from ear to ear? Well, for that, we might not actually know who held the knife and did that. But the two men that were responsible for Brian's murder are behind bars for the rest of their life. Also, the actor, Sean Lockhart, did continue on in porn for a while. He was in some other movies as well. You can check out his Wikipedia for the listings of everything that he has been in. So that is today's case. And if you're like me and just flabbergasted, I mean, it's no wonder this was turned into a Hollywood movie. It flat out sounds like it could be if it wasn't. And the fact that this is true and the fact that somebody's jealousy made them hatch up a plan that they truly believe they would get away with blows my mind. Now, I haven't actually seen the movie King Cobra, but I think I'm gonna watch it because I'm very curious to see how Hollywood portrays this case. Also, if you're like me and you see that there are movies made 
from Hollywood's perspective of these crimes, it's kind of interesting to see what they do to them, how true they stay to the actual facts, and then what they do, what they embellish, what they change, what they make Hollywood friendly. All right, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed today. I know it's weird for me to say that in such a dark, dark topic podcast, but I do this for you guys, so I do hope that you are enjoying the content that I am creating for you. This is something that I love to do. I love looking at the darker side of life because, let's face it, people are fucked up. And as long as people continue to do the fucked up shit that they do, I will continue to bring you the stories of what the actual F is going on in this fucked up world. So until the next episode, have a fantastic, fantastic day, night or morning. Sweet screams. I love you. And if you want, send me a message. You can email me at whattheactualeffharmony at gmail.com or any of these social media outlets where you can reach me as well. Instagram, Facebook, all those. You guys, I don't need to tell you about social media. I'm sure you guys know what you're doing. If you have a case, if you just want to say, hey, I like your podcast, go ahead and do that too. I, I love getting little messages like that. You will make my day. All right. Again, going to say goodbye one last time. Goodbye. I love you. See you on the next episode. Can you say to people to best assure them that this is indeed the absolute truth? I guess there's nothing I can say that would absolutely convince people that uh, the physical act wasn't done by me. Though my hand did not swipe Kosas' neck, physically, it did in every other sense.